Hello, everybody. Welcome to the latest episode of the DMT podcast. My name is Cameron McCulloch-Keeble, and I am joined, as ever, by Rob McLaughlin. How Hello. are you doing? I'm okay, thanks, mate. You alright? Yeah, I'm not bad. I am not bad. So, before we get on to the meat of this podcast, and I'm sure you already know what we're going to be talking about this week, but before we get on to the meat of this podcast, it's time as always, for the housekeeping. So we've got a couple of things to talk to you about. The first one is the DMT podcast live, which is happening next week with Mark Silk, the voice actor for Johnny Bravo. As well as various other things, Mark has appeared in Star Wars. He's the narrator on Pingu. He's been the voice of Scooby-Doo. He's the voice of Bob the Builder in the USA. He is an announcer on many, many television reality and game shows he does all sorts of things. He's been in legendary video games like Black and White by Peter Molyneux. He's got so many stories from so many different sides of the industry and it's the kind of thing that you're going to love listening to because he's got so many different voices. It's fantastic. So come along to that. You can find details in the social media pages for your courses as well as in the details of this show just down below. So get a free ticket for that. Come in, meet Mark and we'll have a good time. The other thing that you need to know about is Grad Plus. Grad Plus has a scheme running at the minute, which is get your bronze by December. What you have to do is go into Grad Plus, talk to them about the various boxes that you have to tick to get your bronze award. And the idea is they're trying to get as many students onto a Grad Plus bronze award by the time our first term ends at the end of December. It's a brilliant thing to do. It's going to add to your degree a huge amount, and you definitely want that on your CV. So go and get your Grad Plus bronze by December. And I think that is all the housekeeping we have for this week. So let's get on to the meat of this podcast. Do you want to do the introduction or? Oh, wow. Okay. Oh, Go for it. <laughs> wow, it makes me do things. Oh, it brings me in every week and expects me to talk about stuff and things. Oh, and I know. It's terrible, isn't ridiculous, it? It's ridiculous, isn't it? Okay. Uh, it's, it's been a, a fantastic set of podcasts. And at the moment, um, we were trying to get people from industry to come in and it's been absolutely amazing we were going to get so much response back from you guys wanting to come in and jess yes you will get on the podcast eventually we will get you sorted out don't we yeah we've got to keep apologizing yes. to jess because yeah. we keep pushing her back a week because yeah, people we, keep signing up well, she says she says well, we don't really want her to come on frankly but uh, <laughs> we just won't tell her to her face um, essentially uh it's been great um luckily um both, both myself and cam are very honored today to have a uh, a special guest um, as you may well know, um, we have a lot of external friends, a lot of external colleagues, and a lot of people that we try and get to come into the podcast to actually make something and talk to you guys about something exciting and unique. Uh, and we have that today. We have uh, a friend of ours called James. James Dyer here from Empire Magazine. So, uh, hello, James. It's lovely to meet you. Hello. Hi. It's been great to sort of have you come up. Uh, it's been nice. Uh, I hope your trip was okay. I, I survived, yes. Yeah, Virgin okay. Rail treated me reasonably well. That's good to know. And it's, it's kind of nice that you, you're up here ready to talk about bits and pieces. Sure. Um, so, before we start, uh, do you want to give a quick background of what you've done? Uh, keeping out all the stuff that we shouldn't be on vodka and podcasting. What have I done? Yeah. Um, well, I am the editor-in-chief of Digital for Empire Magazine. I have been working at Empire for the past 16 years, uh, which is a very long time, really, to be on any job. Um, and... Since I started, I started as assistant editor on the website uh, back in 2000, um, and uh, I've essentially run digital since then. So I took over the website, I can't remember what, I'm going to say 2004, something like that. Sure, let's say 2004. Um, and I launched the Empire iPad edition, uh, I work on the Empire podcast as well, we've done a big live event called Empire Live, obviously I write stuff for the magazine. Uh, so really, lots of film-related empire things. It's good, it's good. I mean, this is yeah. something we wanted to get you guys involved in. I mean, the idea is that 
the podcast and these different ways of getting to you guys is, is essentially you, you go out and you make stuff you you do things and assume by listening to this you like podcasts assume by watching films and being on dmt courses you like tv and film and videos and media and making this stuff and stuff up and and you can tell us a bit about how you got into the job itself how did you get there i mean this is the kind of thing we're trying to get students to go get yourself out there make stuff do things get involved mm. write things and, and hopefully we won't inundate you with with cvs but it's this idea that we want you to uh to try and tell students you know, get out and make things and get out and get yourself shown and needed that kind well, of stuff weirdly that's how our podcast got off the ground um we literally one day someone just said do you listen to podcasts? You know, like, I don't know, one or two, why? So we should do a podcast. We're like, okay, well, fine, let's do a podcast. So we went down into one of the meeting rooms downstairs at Empire, and we had a little script, and Chris wrote it, and me and, and Helen and him and Phil, and we just sat in a room, and we had these little recording things, and we just made it up, and we just sat in a room, and we played it back, and we were like, what works, what doesn't work? And then we did another one the next week, and another one the next week, and we kept on doing it. And uh, we've won, we've been twice shortlisted for Apple's Podcast of the Year, which is nice uh we get about 50 60 thousand listeners i think now we we get five or six Um, listeners which is is fine you know add some zeros as much as anything um i mean we do we do special specials with people as well our spoiler specials um can get upwards of a hundred thousand uh people listening to them which is fantastic and we do some stuff that other people don't do on there as well i mean it was just kind of looking at you know the big film podcast is uh simon may and mark homo's Mm -hmm. wittertainment Mm -hmm. um and we tried not to be that uh, we wanted to be slightly different, you know. Empire slightly more anarchic, slightly more irreverent. Um, you know, I think I think we was we were described quite early on as a bunch of giggling idiots, uh, which is a fair a fair description. I feel um, I think that's pretty accurate. But um, I, I do obviously recommend everyone listen to it. It is the Empire Film Podcast. Podcast you can find it on iTunes. Um, can you but just yeah, quickly say that again. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> uh, yeah, it's 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 a lot of fun film podcast. Uh, no, <laughs> they don't do one. Well, they did, but it was rubbish. Psh. <laughs> this, we're all friends here on this podcast, right? We don't need to repeat that. Uh, yeah, no, it's 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 a lot of fun. I mean, we we've kind of upscaled a little bit now because uh, Bauer, our publisher, they own some radio stations, Absolute and Kiss in London, and they have a big recording studio at One Golden Square. So now we record the podcast there more often than not. Uh, which is when we have guests on the podcast, it is slightly better because you're going into a proper building instead of what is basically a cupboard. Uh, at the magazine offices and saying hi hi sit there yeah pass the broom just yeah, you know just uh I, yeah i know you're arnold schwarzenegger but please can you just you know shift out we can't get in just move. yeah it's it, it was slightly awkward but now it feels slightly more professional it feels like we've arrived it's, it's, it's good i mean we, we nice. do it here which is frankly if we have done this and put out all the stops and it's great we, we have actually dusted and cleaned for you um <laughs> yeah. in our cupboard uh, and <laughs> you may if you are listening to the podcast a few times you might have noticed that sometimes the sound quality goes up and down the reason being is we try and and doing the studio as we do today but uh, on occasion we have had to try and um, grab well, some rooms which uh, is kind of interesting <laughs> sometimes there are radio students who have assignments and apparently they're yeah, more important there's really important so. things to do like work and stuff like yeah. that not talking to people from Empire and stuff like that which is ridiculous frankly <laughs> how dare we use the stuff and facilities here really it's terrible so you say you took over the digital side in about 2004 mm. um, my question to you my first question to you for the minute is uh, how has it changed What's the if you could sort of pinpoint a few things that are the biggest sort of turning points that have been for the digital side of what you do? Oh, where God. would you put them? The, here's the thing: I was speaking to someone relatively recently uh, who teaches journalism, and I was saying, "What is the nature of your digital course? How are you teach digital?" And he said, "The thing is this: when we lock down a curriculum for a course, you do it a few, you know, I can't remember, he said three to six months before the course starts. 
And therefore, before the course starts, everything you're teaching has changed and is no longer accurate because digital moves that quickly. Mm. And it literally does. Uh, it's just like three months is a lifetime. The Facebook algorithm has changed twice in massively significant ways this year, uh, both of which have fundamentally affected the way we work. Uh, I, it's very hard to keep up with that kind of thing. Um, you know, you, you're desperately trawling. There are websites like Mashable and DigiDay that cover a lot of this stuff and mm. they tip you up on things. But it's um, it, it's a very sort of fluid field, whereas print journalism, you know, apart from the fact that it's in decline, hasn't changed substantially, you know, in the way you fundamentally put a magazine together. You used to use uh, Quark Express, now you use InDesign, but that's basically, you know, how it's evolved. Digital, um, digital speed, it's more, it's mostly with the internet as a whole. So when I started in 2000, it was just before the dot-com bubble burst, um, the internet was kind of still not in its infancy but it wasn't it was in its teenage years if mm. you will um slightly unruly and just slam a door like well yeah it, it hated us and told yeah. us that a lot um <laughs> it was it was an odd thing but but we were kind of at this stage where we were coming out of the era of uh information at a premium you know because there was a point where journalists used to control the flow of information because there was nowhere else you could get this stuff no. there was no people didn't have access to this information we had it you didn't you did what we said and you bought our magazines because you had no choice and then suddenly the internet came along and just people were like shit <laughs> you know, now everyone can see if a film is good or bad. Now everyone can read this information out there. And, you know, that was a curveball and we had to adapt to that. And then Twitter came along and it's like, oh, you thought that was quick. Now, now it's instantaneous. <laughs> so now, like, you, we'd get to the point where, say we were covering an event, we'd go out there, you know, and it'd be like, oh, brilliant, we've got to write that up for the for press day. When's that? Three weeks? All right, fine. And then with the website, it's like, oh, we should really have this up on the website tomorrow morning. And then with Twitter, it was like, okay, this needs to be up before it's finished. You need to be live tweeting. <laughs> tweeting when the credits are rolling. Like, Absolutely a, yeah, that. Um, you have, excuse me, my phone is ringing. Is um, uh, you know, and that's quite... Uh, that's quite a thing, you know. So we and so I, that's the tweet you got from saying this. Yeah, that's it. Happened. Someone is now <laughs> tweeting about this. Uh, no, but this, you say that. But now, literally, this is my Apple Watch doing this. Now I'm getting tweets on my watch, so that I can't even avoid Twitter by putting my phone away. It's just, <laughs> it's, it's really quite upsetting. Um, but like, we'd cover Comic Con, and we used to go out, and maybe we'd cut a video together, and we put it together for the website. And then, as Twitter became more important, we had to live tweet all the panels, and then we had to post stuff on Facebook, and then you got to go onto Instagram, and then maybe you'd periscope it as well. Well, which we did from Celebration Europe one year. And it gets to the point where there are so many different outlets for the media that you're creating that it's utterly exhausting. Yeah, see what we do for you. I mean, it's just essentially, <laughs> if, if, you, if you guys who are listening to this just had dial-up, you know, we could do it and we could put a website up one every every month and you'd be quite happy. And Ain't It Cool would still be fashionable and interesting and people would still go onto that website and go, oh, this is still relevant sort of things. So we've been around a long time, hasn't he, Mr. Knowles? Yeah. He's, uh, he's done a lot of since stuff. Since 1996, to be it's been a long time, but it, yeah, the websites have moved on since then. Uh, but it, it is, I mean, the, the amount of avenues we ourselves as lecturers have to put out for you guys and, and tweets and Facebooks and, and all these kind of bits and pieces, it makes our job much more difficult. But if you're doing a, a, a full-on... Uh, uh, website and podcast and video content and all the kind of bits and pieces that go along with the magazine. The magazine is just one element of mm. of, um, of empire. Also, I suppose that empire's empire. I'm well, well, yeah, yeah. And that's very much how yeah. we see it now. We see it as a brand. You know, we have a podcast, we have a website, we have social media outlets. In fact, literally yesterday, I started a Facebook group, which might seem a little bit like jumping on the bandwagon. Three years too late, ten years too late, whatever. Uh, but we used to have a forum on the old website, which we had like quarter of a million people on this forum it was an incredibly vibrant film community and forums are something of an anachronism on the internet mm. i love them but you know i'm 40 years old so i would do <laughs> uh but 
people don't really use forums. I mean, they use Reddit, which in many ways is quite an old school forum type mm -hmm. site, but they don't really use forums. So they shut our forum down and people were a bit despondent. And it became apparent to me we were never going to get it back. So yesterday we launched a Facebook group to kind of replace the forum. So we've got about a thousand people on it already, which is nice. Um, but yeah, it's uh, th there's so much stuff that we do now. We have this live event, Empire Live, which we did this year at the O2 in London. Uh, as I say, we have the podcast, we have the website, we have the magazine. So, you know, we've had brief tv shows in the past mm. so we do see it now as a brand and not necessarily a print publication and i think all print publications now need to diversify in one way or another yeah it's becoming mm. to the point where people are just again the, the, uh, my background is some of you may know was was in print and publishing uh, and exactly what we we're saying before is the fact that the the magazine becomes part of the intricacies of, of what it is you get out there to develop rather than being the main thrust of what it was mm. and going back many years when I was a lad, the magazine was the main thing. You had the magazine and nothing else. That was it. That was the only way of doing it. But a magazine has become part of, there's this, and the, the article was written two weeks ago. And of course, that news is now not news anymore because it's it's happened and printed and it's taken a time mm -hmm. to go through the entire process. Uh, but the, the tweets are new. But the articles, are, you know, you've got a, a big interview from somebody I assume from from the states that's that's a big coup that's a big thing to have on uh it's an exclusive for the magazine rather than kind of the, the news being not news anymore because it's on the shelf yeah. for two weeks. you can't do news in a monthly magazine and that's something we learned quite a few years ago uh I, I think that was one of the biggest shocks we had because we had a very good news section in the mm -hmm. magazine and it became apparent very quickly as the internet rose that it just it just wasn't it didn't serve a purpose i mean it was utterly pointless um and then we tried to embrace <laughs> we tried to embrace digital in a slightly ill-conceived way in about 2005, 2006, where everything in the magazine was, we say, you say, you know, and it had loads and loads of like stuff from the forums, you know, stuff we were getting in, loads and loads of reader content. And people were just like, in the nicest possible way, we go to the pub to hear people talk nonsense. We don't need to read it in your magazine. You know, we pay to hear what you say. We don't want to read this you know, internet stuff. Yeah, because we're, we're frankly, as an internet yeah, we're just awful. As we feel. Yeah. <laughs> we're just yeah. terrible. Um, yeah, and I've worked in digital my entire career, but yeah, it's, yeah. Yeah. it's just, dreadful. <laughs> dreadful place. Oh, damn the internet. Just go on the internet, just turn it off. So how how do you deal with and cope with the various demands and pushes and pulls from the large audience that you have? I mean, you mentioned the many, many people you have on the forums that were despondent when it was shut down. How do you kind of actively keep ahead and respond to that that want and demand. I hate them quietly and wish them <laughs> ill. I think is is the secret. Now, um, look, you can't, you cannot please everyone. And weirdly, the internet has uh, has kind of given birth to this. You know, people talk about this this post truth era that we've entered, mm. especially in like mm. the whole Trump debacle. Um, and this is something that I've been aware of for some time in a film capacity, so in no way important. But uh, that people will decide whether a film is good or not before they've seen it. Mm -hmm. And they will defend their opinion on that film before they've seen it. Uh, and then they will attack us for disagreeing with the opinion they have of this film that they haven't seen. Mm. And it's because, you know, as humans, we are primarily emotional, not logical beings, but their emotion seems to trump logic and fact. Trump being a pun, I'm sorry. Mm. About that. <laughs> um, and, and we get that a lot. So we'd give like a film that they thought that was going to be really good. We'd give it a bad review and we'd get like hate mail for it. Mm. You know, they really get passionately upset, you know, and there's like a contingent of DC fans out there for 
some reason. And the DC <laughs> films are <clears throat> terrible. They're not so, so good, are they? No, they're not at all. So we get accused of being, oh, you're on Marvel's payroll, you're on Marvel fanboys. It's like, no, they just make better films. Yeah, the Sorry. films are better than yours. Sorry about that. That's, and that's <laughs> the issue. You know, and I, while I fervently hope that Wonder Woman next year is going to be very, very good, and Justice League would be nice if that is good too, you know, there's the sense that I've been burned now several times. Yes. <laughs> um, you know, and, it, and it's tricky, but, but people get very tribal about this. Um, and that, and that, I think, is a hard. You can't, you can't meet that. You can't um, accommodate for that. No, it's it's a Harry Potter thing. It's the new ones come out. It's got good reviews, but not awesome reviews. And people, mm. it's all right. <gasps> how, yeah. dare how dare you, you say, say it's, it's all right? It's, all right. Yeah. What? it's not. It's we were literally on the fence. <clears throat> how can you? How can you be offended by this middle of the road yeah. opinion? But no, they they will do that. And you know, even if you like something, as you say, and you don't love it, yeah. then somehow that's bad as well. well I, yeah. Okay, I, I've got to. I've, Going back a few years, I, I was burnt by Star Wars. I'm mm. sure that, that you were as well, that when Star Wars 1, 2, and 3 came out, I don't like those films. They are not very good movies in any way. And I was like, you know, I've got a love-hate relationship with Star Wars. That's my childhood. And then you, you ruined it by being bad movies. Uh, and then the next one came out. It's like, okay, impress me. And I came out, yeah. And they're like, this has been, that's Star Wars. The last one was Star Wars. The last three, not Star Wars. Yeah. But that's my opinion. I'm 40. I have that opinion but I say that to, to Cam's guys and people on the course go no episode 2 was brilliant and like, no it wasn't and they won't they won't have that it, it, eh, but they're young they don't know anything uh, uh, but, but it's, it's that it's nice to have an opinion on mm. films as long as it's not kind of vitriolic um, but we, there is sort of adamant fanboys of most things isn't it in many ways and you're right about DC and Marvel that I would I wanted DC to succeed but they're not very good movies not, well, it, 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 the whole DC Marvel thing is quite interesting because Kevin Feige, who's kind of the he's Captain Marvel, if you will. He's mm-hmm. the uh, he's which, the which who, version is he the lady uh, Captain Marvel? Well, yeah, uh, no, he didn't like that. <laughs> uh, but he's he's the sort of the mastermind behind the rollout strategy for mm. the MCU, and the man is a genius. A, a genius and we, we we said that a lot on the podcast and not just because i know he listens to it um but he's uh i mean th- all of those films are connected there is a plan there mm. is a rollout plan there's even a plan to the budget of each film the projected revenue for each film the budget for the second film how that film ties into the next tier and the next phase you know it's incredibly well planned and then dc which is just monkeys throwing feces at the wall yeah, it's just um, you know and it feels uh, no, no go away exactly that it's, i mean it's completely disorganized the tones all over the yeah. place and Zach Snyder, who has made some really good films, he's remaking Dawn, Dawn, Dawn of the, the Dead. Dead. He's spectacular. Yeah. I really love Watchmen as well. Mm-hmm. Uh, you know, Three Hundred, stylistically, yeah, yeah. if not substantially, is is a. It is looks a, like a comic book. It's as it should yeah. Do, yeah. You know, I, I I've got a lot of time for Zack Snyder creatively, but I, he's not a tactician. You know, he's not a strategist, and he hasn't, I don't think, done them any favors with the way he's kind of rather haphazardly put this this sort of DC universe together. Mm. That said, DC fans yeah. love these films, so yeah. you know, but and the, they're making money. The, so. the the plan, the the Marvel plan, you can see it. There's mm. a Marvel plan it's in that little short that thor did when he wasn't in civil war you can see that on his wall he's got the guy in the chair and that kind of that shoe that's that's that, what they're working to the little colored drawings i think that's probably how how it's put together i yeah. suggest that's that's how it's done. it's all very <laughs> but it's i mean it doesn't take a lot to build a universe it takes a lot to plan it out mm. but i think the idea of having this Sorry, Cam, I'm, I'm just going off my, my Marvel rant. But it's, it's, Are you it's, talking it's, about comic books? What are the chances? Well, imagine that. Yeah. <laughs> but that's, that's you know, if I'm, I've got a, a set of characters, 5,000 characters in Marvel, 
I want to plan them out. The TV shows are doing this. The the books are doing this. The cartoons are doing this. And weirdly, the comics at the moment aren't very good. But the the, the films and the TV shows and everything else is amazing. The cartoons are amazing. It's like that's the strategy of making a good set of. Studios. And let's bear in mind that they did this without any of their good characters. Yeah, they mm. didn't have Spider Man. No. They didn't have the X Men. And for me, X Men are Marvel, and mm. Spider Man is a close second. You know, the Avengers are reasonably known but they're not they won't really I mean Captain America is an A-list character yeah. none of the others no, in no. the Avengers really are A-list mm. and you know they've elevated them now to make them household names in a mm. way they never were before because they had to and they had no choice uh, so I will have eternal respect for what they've done with I, I just films. would love to see um, the Fantastic Four return at the end of the Civil War uh, sorry the uh, Infinity War those two films happen something happens uh, and then there'll be something that happen there'll be rip or a tear in the universe and the Fantastic Four will walk through and just go something like, yeah, what have we missed? And then that's it. That's the end of that. And then a literal we, Dallas coming out. Yeah, basically it's like, yeah, what's been happening? And, and that would be lovely just have this kind of idea that they've brought the rights back to Fantastic Four and Fantastic Four kind of go, brilliant, and we can just launch a Fantastic Four show for the next... 20 years that's another set of can films. I just say Cameron you are in no way old enough to remember Dallas let alone that particular episode <laughs> that's, that's when Bobby walked out of the shower <laughs> but good reference thank you um, so <laughs> so then can we not to put you on the spot any more than we already are but can we have a sort of potted history of you where did you where did you start where did you learn journalism how did you make those first steps oh What's... good grief um i what did i do well i went to to birmingham in fact went to the university in edgeston and i studied theology because that's what you do when you want to work for empire um <coughs> i did a theology degree um <clears throat> at the arts faculty over there with a lot of people who were doing bachelors of divinity uh so uh that was an interesting experience um as a sort of devout atheist it was also a slightly weird choice for a degree but you know i like bachelors to, of divinity uh, is, that, is that you pick a deity to well work with, i believe it's one of the precursors for for priesthood i don't know oh, if it's okay. necessary but they oh, were really? all training for wow. for priestdom. priestdom um and you know and then when when lectures or i should say seminars got a bit heated i actually had a girl who i won't name but a girl prayed for me in a seminar once because of some of the things i was saying <laughs> and that was a new experience for me so that was nice you are literally praying for my soul that's just very passive aggressive um, <laughs> Um, but yeah, so I did that, and I graduated. Uh, she saying no, she wasn't praying for your soul. She's saying you're an arsehole. <laughs> yeah, it, could, it could well have been that. <laughs> praying for your arsehole. Um, I <laughs> misheard. Sorry. <laughs> um, so yeah, and I graduated and realised that I didn't really like the idea of um, you know the whole having a job thing. Uh, it didn't massively appeal to me as a lifestyle choice. So for the next year, I pretty much sat on my ass and played Nintendo sixty four games. Which um, one? Can we? It's important. Uh, well. A great many. I, well, that was kind of gold my era. Yeah, so that did a lot. God, nine, Lilac yeah. Wars, you name it. Uh, <laughs> Star Fox for anyone outside the UK. Uh, yeah, so did a lot of that and um, uh, tried to work out what to do. Now, obviously, around that time, the internet was something I toyed with at university. It was all dial-up. It was very, very slow. I had my first email address at uni. It was very exciting. Um, and so during that year of essentially dosing, I um, I bought a book on HTML and I taught myself HTML. Uh, and I started building websites. Um, just like silly ones, I made one for a friend of mine from university for her birthday. I made myself one, which was just a website dedicated to different categories of film quotes. Actually true. Uh, it's not around anymore. Uh, and so off the back of that, I applied to web design agencies saying, does anyone need like a web monkey to come in and you know help out? And one of them, a company called DesignNet, no longer around, uh, which was based in Earl's Court, they gave me a, a kind of junior job in web design. And I did that for about seven months before deciding I'd quite like to write. And then I did a postgraduate diploma in journalism, mm. in periodical journalism. And Empire was literally the first job 
I got out of my postgraduate <laughs> course, well, which is ridiculous. Is. You don't have to go through the stamp mark. No, or, I know, and that's yeah. exactly what I. Women's Weekly or something. Yeah. Like that, yeah. Um, and I never <laughs> ever dreamed that would happen. Like Empire Red Empire at University. Mm-hmm. I even wrote them a really angry letter from my room in Selly Oak, uh, specifically because they'd given the game David Finch's the game two stars in, and they'd also given Batman and Robin three stars in the same issue. That's and I was no. like, "Are you actually serious?" <laughs> and it was outraged of Birmingham University, and I, I yeah. They didn't print it. Um, <laughs> but, uh, yeah, no, I loved Empire, and I'd always wanted to end up there, and, and I never really thought I would, and it was my first job. And then I was kind of a bit like, huh, because that's kind of where I'd expected to end my career. Mm. And then when you start there, you're just like, I don't really know what to do now. You can't get so much si- better than this. Yeah, <laughs> so 16 years later, I'm still sitting there going, really don't know what I'm doing, <laughs> but I'm still here, and that's that's I've blagged fine. it for this long. It's yeah, <laughs> and they haven't got rid of me yet, so that's uh, that's nice. And I've still managed thus far at the age of 40 to have avoided working for a living. So I'd say that's quite a noble goal to have achieved. So I'd say it's fair to say, or it's it's a fair assumption to make, that a number of graduates, I would hope, read empire i know that's true uh, do young people read magazines my marketing people tell me this isn't the case well you have digital versions now (laughs) that is true you launched the ipad version yourself i did yeah um so it's fair to say that a number of our our students read empire magazine i'd hope having put them onto podcasts that they listen to it as well can you tell us a little bit about the people that you work with about the environment in which you work in maybe they might recognize some of the names or the personalities Um, see the thing when you when you tell people you work at empire they have this kind of image in their head that you're kind of you all this bunch of nerds in marvel t-shirts sitting in an office just talking about which star wars film is best and you know whether die hard is the best christmas movie ever made and it is the problem is that is literally exactly what the office is like <laughs> i'm not even joking we are just like a screaming stereotype from top to bottom um like me and chris hewitt will communicate almost exclusively in die hard quotes uh you know i mean phil DeSamley and helen o'hara who will work on the podcast i mean it it's it's incredibly obscure references all day, every day. Um, and we, we, we have, me and Chris have always had this thing where we quote Hans Gruber from Die Hard, uh, the late, great Alan Rittman. And uh, there, was a, there was an Empire Awards where Alan came along to it and he was at the salad buffet and he was helping himself to some sort of kale or something. And me and Chris were just out of ear, eardrops sort of going, ladies and gentlemen, ladies and gentlemen, <laughs> uh, you know, <laughs> Mr. Takagi. We were just quoting him endlessly. And I'm sure he could hear us. <laughs> and I'm sure he was shaking his head again. He's fucking people. Because um, you can't put on the voice of God. Yeah, well, it's, yeah, it's, it's, it's just, I don't know. He was awesome. And we do that a lot. And we are obviously massive fans first and foremost. But yeah, it's a very nerdy environment. Um, but if you love films and you like to talk nonsense about films, there's kind of nowhere really better to be. Um, and we do a lot of that on the podcast. But what we do on the podcast is, without exaggeration, pretty much what we do all day in mm. the office. Um and we'll all be working and we'll all be writing and someone, often me, will make some kind of ridiculous declaration and then everyone will just stop and turn around and then we're into a thing, which might last 10 minutes or it might last two hours, who knows. Um, and that's, you know, that's very much what working in Empire is. Because <laughs> the debate is, what is the best Christmas film? And anybody says, you know, that's not Christmas Carol, uh, Muppets Christmas Carol, or not. It's Die Hard. Oh, it's Die Hard. Yeah, it's, it's literally it's, Die it's, Hard. It's, nothing else. It's, <laughs> it's not it's even not a conversation. Christmas, yeah. It's not, like, not Christmas until he falls off like a dumb father. Um, but it, you know, people are always oh, a wonderful life. No, you're wrong mm. because no one's going to sit there and watch a wonderful life because it's really boring. Yes. People are going to watch Muppets Christmas Carol because it's the best Christmas film next to Die Hard and there's no other Christmas film. Oh, Elf, possibly. I do like Elf. I've got a lot of time Elf for Elf. <clears throat> I'm also the only person in the office apart from uh, Terry White, who's the print editor, uh, who enjoys Love Actually. But I have a weird, weird thing. I, like, I really like no. Richard Curtis, and I know I'm out on a limb here. 
but I really like all of Richard Curtis's stuff, so including good. Love Actually, which is no. a really creepy film. <laughs> the Andrew Lincoln subplot is it's just wrong. Uh, but yeah, I don't know. And the I bit like where they, they've got the kid running to the airport. Mm. Why does he not have his legs blown out from underneath him? Because he's got a bomb. He hasn't got a bomb. It's just a, oh. it's Richard Curtis. No. Yeah. No. Yeah. No. So you, you, <laughs> calm down, Rob. Calm, it's okay. It's okay. I'm calm. It's okay. Uh, so you've been working at Empire, as you said, for a fairly long time. Mm. Um, what's the biggest fan moment you've had? Because I imagine you must have had quite a few. I have. Um, there are probably two really. I mean, I've done loads of stuff, but there are two really big ones for me. And one was um, we got invited to go out to Skywalker Ranch. Um, and we got a tour of the archive, George Lucas's archive, uh, where he has all the props from the Star Wars films. Um, and uh, I just lost my mind. Uh, like they've got the Darth Vader costume, which is still like toasty from the pyre at the end of Return of the Jedi. It's made of this kind of wicked. Smells of burnt Ewok. No, it's it's, it's a bur- it's a burnt Vader, and they burnt oh. him on the fire. And there's you know the, the Ark of the Covenant from Raiders is there. Howard the Duck is in there. Howard the Duck's in there. <laughs> yeah, uh, oh. all the mats that they had from the production. I mean, it's just uh, the, like there's a case with all the lightsaber hilts in it that you can kind of pick up. It's like this, this was did Alec you, did Guinness's. You, did, did, did I literally noise? held Alec Guinness's lightsaber. Oh. I mean, it's just oh. nuts. Um, yeah, I mean that was that was pretty incredible as a kind of fanboy moment. And um, I was uh, obviously I grew up in the eighties, uh, and I uh, I worshipped Arnold Schwarzenegger. Just everything, you know, for me like Terminator, Predator, True Lies, Total Recall, all that stuff. Just the most amazing stuff ever. And uh, I pitched uh, to do. I mean, I say I pitched it. It wasn't my idea, but I definitely wanted to do it. Um, we did an Arnold Schwarzenegger issue when he came out of politics came back into film for the last stand and we did an issue dedicated to him and I really wanted to do that and I got that gig and I got to spend a lot of time with Arnold and it was an absolute dream wow. come true I mean it was funny because we 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 did you get to the chopper? Uh, I got him to say that to me. And I i mean, he actually said to me, he goes, get to the chopper. And I was like, oh, my God, you made my life. Um, no, we, I had i had 45 minutes with him at a hotel in London, and that was supposed to be it. Mm. And I got, in those 45 minutes, I got through maybe 4% of my total questions because I was just like, no, this, no. So I managed to convince his... Um, his publicist to let me have some more time later on. And in the end, because we'd kind of got on in the interview, he agreed to talk to me on the way to the premiere, which was for Expendables 2. And so weirdly, I was like Arnold's date for this premiere. <laughs> so I went with him in the car, and then I walked with him down the red carpet. And we were surrounded by by guards, because like it's not Secret Service, because that's for the president. They mm. have what's called state security when they're a governor. You'd so think he could handle themselves, though, wouldn't you? Really? You would think that. <laughs> you know. Being gone, you'd have a... You'd have he, a he didn't have an Uzi on him. No, no. Mean, but, uh, <laughs> you know, we walked down the red carpet with these guards around us, and they're like just f- this phalanx around me and, and, and Arnold, or the governor, as they still mm. called him. And um, and he's answering all these questions, and, you know, we walk in, and in the green room doing all this sort of stuff. And I, so I spent the whole day with him, and, like, Dolph Lundgren's there and Jean-Claude Van Damme and you know, Sylvester Stallone is there as well. Um, so it's, it's a real 80s action fest for me. And I did that and then I got invited out to go to his office in Santa Monica and I spent a day there as well. Wow. Um, so I got so much access to him uh, and I just got to, not just interviewing for the article but I got to just talk to him about all this stuff that had just made my childhood what it was. Mm. And it was just the most incredible experience and he gave me this box set at the end of the interview it's like this bronze cube which includes 10 of his favorite films and it has like the seal of the governor on it and it's like a special presentation but it's only 500 ever made and uh really funny is off his 10 favorite films 
two of them are his films <laughs> like of his 10 favorite films which include like ben-hur and all sorts of stuff <clears throat> uh twins and terminator 2 are in there and i was like mm, that's a bit weird but sure I'll um, twins out and just put that yeah, like, yeah, no, he's really proud of that he's really proud of that film he loves it um so yeah so he gave me that and i was just and i kind of stumbled out and i didn't really know what to do and i i kind of i went onto facebook which i don't really use much and I got in touch with a friend of mine who I had not spoken to in decades. I hadn't since I was a kid. And I tracked him down on Facebook just to tell him, because he's the only person in my life who would understand what that meant to mm. me. And he kind of lost his mind as well. It was yeah. really cool. But that that was probably the most fanboy I'd ever been was Arnold. And I, got to, I think it was a 9,000 word feature on that. Wow. It was huge. I mean, did you focus on Commando as well? Because that's probably one of the best well, films ever made. Weirdly, uh, Nick DeSemlin, who also works for Empire, has written a monstrous oral history of Commando, which oh. is amazing, which is on the website. Uh, for anyone who wants to look at it, it's really worth worth having a look at. And he spoke to absolutely everyone. I think there's a, a couple of Arnold quotes in there, but he mainly focused on everyone else. Uh, but the story <laughs> of that film is fantastic. Yeah. It's so funny. It's a great movie. Yeah. I love, I, I, I love, again, it's just coming back to our age guessing. It comes like, well, what are they talking about? They're so old. I, I know <laughs> some of these. I know what's some a of Commando? What's, what's this film? What's Cobra? <laughs> <laughs> um, but it, I, mean, I, I love Terminator 2 is one of the best films ever made uh, yeah. in my opinion and we've had a d- discussion and debate between uh, lecturers whether or not Terminator 1 or Terminator 2 is better we had that discussion in the office yesterday and it, it's, I, I think Terminator 2 by by a little bit but not a great deal mm. because Terminator 1 is so good well, they're we, slightly different and this is when people say Alien versus Aliens it's like you can compare them but they're different genres yeah, yeah. you know a Terminator is a stalker <clears> movie <throat> it's, a, it's, it's a horror film Terminator 2 is not yeah. Alien is a horror film Aliens mm. is a platoon movie mm. I mean they're very different films I mean you can Alien weirdly Alien versus Aliens and Terminator versus Terminator 2 are very similar arguments one's kind of low budget came out of nowhere mm. the other one is you know uh, essentially the filmmaker subverting the genre saying I'm not going to try and replicate this I'm going to take this genre I'm going to do something entirely different which will be as good if not better than mm-hmm. without competing with it yeah it, it, um, it's, it's it's having yeah a five million dollar film to five hundred million dollar it just doesn't it's one's polished yeah. and, and big and and fast and over the top and that's amazing uh, and the other ones are kind of it, it works well if it wouldn't work the other way you couldn't have gone big to small oh, no, but it needed no. to have that big jump and then it gets to the third one and it all goes horribly wrong well, for both yeah. franchises Bless him. Uh, um, uh, no James Cameron is amazing he's my favourite filmmaker actually I, I went on set for Avatar when he did that because uh, it fascinated me because he'd been out of the industry for like 10 years at that mm. point and what fascinated me is he's like since uh, I mean since Terminator 2 every film he's made has been the most expensive film ever made it's like Terminator 2, Titanic, Avatar. Each one of them was the most expensive film to date. And then, you know, Titanic and Avatar are, t- are still the two, you know, the, the highest grossing films ever. Mm. You know, it's 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 nuts. The guy's it, amazing. It's, it's, and this idea of just going, it's, I like film. And you just went, well, that's one of his, the idea of just the push of technology. We wouldn't yeah. have the cameras and no, the technology we'd have. Not at all. With, without him in any way. It's like, well... I spent ten years doing this. You know, mm. Why is it so? It's only taken like one film, taking ten years. But look at the technology that they used to that. Yeah, because he could go mm. to the abyss and he developed the fusion camera yeah. system, which is what essentially led to the entire 3D resurgence, which mm. I have mixed feelings about. But when the problem with 3D is it got commercialized and ruined. Like they do 3D conversion jobs on every film now, and mm. 3D converted films are just shit. They're just they're post-production. Ones. Yeah, they're dreadful. Yeah. Whereas if you shoot a film in 3D using the grammar of 3D filmmaking, which mm. Cameron did when he did Avatar, he had there was 
was a viewing room around the back of the set so she could watch the rushes in 3D. The monitor as well that he watched on was in 3D. So he made that film not just with 3D in mind. He watched it. He did everything in 3D. Mm. The whole thing used that grammar. And then you watch other things where they do shots like, you know, where they have the person in the foreground out of focus, the person in the background. And it's mm. like, that's great, but that's the grammar of 2D filmmaking. Mm. If you do that in a 3D film, it makes no sense at mm. all. Uh, and uh, too yeah, too much of that happened after yeah. Avatar came out. I mean, Avatar is it's an immersive experience, I think, more than a film. I mm. mean, the film itself is not the best movie in the world. No, it isn't. But it looks gorgeous. Mm. Uh, and the immersive experience of it, and it looked beautiful. And it, the idea of putting 3D glasses onto it, a big screen with big sound. Yeah, you're there, you're watching the movie, you're in the movie. It's it's I mean the actual plot and it doesn't matter really and people no. are like, oh it's a, it's a bad plot doesn't doesn't matter this this push yeah it's okay but, but it's funny because you get Avatar backlash in the same way you get Titanic backlash mm. and I think part of that is because it's uh, I'm, I'm it's hard to say I've spoken to a lot of people about this and like people like a lot of guys oh Titanic's like a girls movie it's like well that's a nonsensical statement to begin with but you know it's, it's got it, Billy Zane in it he's <laughs> he does um, you know it's a film that almost defies classification mm. Titanic is two movies it's a love story for an hour and a half and then mm. it's a disaster movie for an yeah. hour and a half it's absolute genius you know and Avatar is in itself you know I, and I said this to Cameron himself it's like, it's like dances with viper wolves yeah. I was incredibly proud of that <laughs> um, but you know it is it's not a particularly original story but it's told with such vibrancy and such mm. imagination and it used 3D in a way that 3D has never been used before and suddenly this was a phenomenon mm. it couldn't and this is so he's making like 15 avatar sequels at the moment yeah. and the worry you have with those is you can never replicate the situation around avatar avatar is the highest grossing film ever made by a substantial margin mm. i might add uh, but that's because it heralded you know the advent this sort of neo 3d revolution that you had and people got to charge a lot more for tickets and mm. everyone had to see it in 3D yeah. and this was a thing now when Avatar 2 comes out everyone is so done with 3D yeah. and even if it's amazing and it uses 3D brilliantly people are like meh yeah. it, it, it's a tricky one because again I mean using the example of the Matrix is that was lifted the level of technology yeah. and cameras to the point where these next ones better be good and they were good but they weren't as good as the originals and I think if somebody's saying with Avatar we, we go that changed yeah, you, you, you don't get um game changes that often yeah uh, and the idea of kind of trying to build on a game change it doesn't happen that often either and that you get something that's better than the thing that came before and i can see with avatar is exactly the same as like how do you beat the film that's the biggest grossing blockbuster ever made you mm. can't it's a, how do you do it do it underwater do you do it in space do you do it but people like there have been more revolutionary films since then which mm. have gone completely unheralded i mean rise of the planet of the apes yeah. was utterly revolutionary top to bottom it was photoreal cg and the thing with avatar is it was shot in this thing called the volume which was a sound stage which used 3d positioning to create a virtual world i've been on the volume uh with steven spielberg name drop uh <laughs> showed me around there when he was doing tintin and mm -hmm. he showed me and he, they've got a virtual camera which they which it's like a user game controller and you can move it around this digital space so you can see the, the previs of the of the 3d that they're putting together of the of the renderings um but it was contained in that space. Rise of the Planet of the Apes did that same thing, but they did it in the wild. They did it in a forest. You know, you don't need the volume anymore. Mm. You can do this live. It's incredible. And everyone was like, yeah, film's all right. I'm like, this film has literally changed cinema. What is wrong with you people? <laughs> do you know what I mean? This is an absolutely revolutionary piece of filmmaking just in terms of the way it has moved technology mm -hmm. forward and no one paid attention. Yeah. Mm -hmm. Same thing as uh, Jungle Book this mm -hmm. year. Yeah, it's Jungle Book is incredible. Yeah. And everyone's like, meh. It looks amazing. Again, you don't know. Maybe it's because people don't know. Because it was so realistic. It was very hard to tell what... Well, nothing was real. Nothing. A couple of the boy is yeah, the only a, thing that's of, real. A couple of twigs and a, a leaf. Yeah. It's, it, but it's, that's it. It's, it's like an animated like, movie. Yeah. And it's photoreal. And yeah. it's 
utterly incredible. Mm. Even if Shere Khan is a little bit South London. Yeah, I'm gonna get you up. Yeah, but the, <laughs> and the fact that the snake is is weird. He's got to be And King Louis fighting. But yeah, I haven't shown my daughter that one. She's seen the original, but yeah. like I said, it's not a, a one for kids. So I think, but it looks amazing. It it, the visual. But I think again, people go, well, uh, show me something else. It's a, people are very, very fickle. I think as, as, mm. as a view on myself, as a view an audience, who are very fickle about, yeah, yeah, impress me. And it, I think that it's, it's unless people know how difficult it is to produce something like that and how how much you've had to push technology, it's gone past people by in many ways. It's mm. just one of many films that have come out over this year that probably haven't haven't done as good as they they should do. Um, but I think the market's changing in some ways that people don't pick up the fact that this is a revolutionary film. And I think Avatar maybe came at the time when people expected slightly more. Um, but whether we do four, uh, 4D cinemas and the next Avatar film comes out and it's 4D. Is it 4DX? The new version? Yeah, funnily yeah. enough, uh, Chris got an invite to see Rogue One in 4DX in December. Uh, and uh, although it's in South London, I was like, oh, really, South London? But uh, I'm like, actually, I'd be really interested because I've never really been to one of those 4DX right. performances. And, you know, there's a sense a little bit like this is an Emperor's New Clothes thing. Like, what mm. is this the new smell of vision? Do you know what I mean? <laughs> yes. But, I, you know, I'm, I'm interested to see it, you know, in the same way that kind of Dolby Atmos has revolutionized home entertainment for those who have, you know, the the budget to, you know, shell out for the systems and mm. also, you know, accommodating partners who don't mind the putting speakers in the ceilings. <laughs> but, um, you know, it, 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 that that's a whole thing. You know, 3D sound is an incredible thing if you, you know, mm. when you when you experience it. So there, there are lots of different things happening. Virtual reality is huge. You know, PSVR has brought it into the mm. mainstream. No one can afford Oculus or Vive. PSVR is kind <laughs> of affordable. Um, you know, and they, they've made VR sort of shorts. Yeah. Uh, it's a very different type of filmmaking, not least because you have to make it with something that looks a lot like the interrogation droid from Star Wars mm. it's like a big <laughs> spherical camera thing uh, but that again the grammar of that kind of filmmaking is entirely different to traditional filmmaking where you mm. point a camera at something and you direct the audience's attention in virtual reality filmmaking if something is happening at a specific point you need to have a way of drawing their attention organically to that point mm. so you know you might have a gunshot or a bird making a sound or something that you think well that's going to make them look over here because ultimately if they're looking the other way they're going to miss something important mm. you know it's it's a very different thing it, it's an interesting time it's, it's an interesting we, we had a a, a, um, a filmmaker in last year a guy called Brian Yusner mm. uh, and Brian Yusner did a lot of 80s horror movies um, but he was saying the next step that he wanted to start looking at and experiment with is immersive horror mm. this idea of having a uh, an Oculus or something, and then creating a horror film or a short within an immersive, an immersive environment within an Oculus, basically. So he kind of creates something. But you're right, it needs to have prompts so, because we have the narrative film going that you look at this, look at this, look yeah. at this. How do you do it? Oh, to be, oh, the killings happened behind you. Oh, the murders and the yeah, monsters are behind it. you. Oh, this, you know, this, this is boring. I've just walked through a corridor. There's nothing here. It's behind you. Um, but I think that's going to be, be interesting to see where that goes again, whether or not we get that. And, and Cameron's next film might well be an immersive avatar the fact that you maybe well have a narrative of a story but it might be that it's all oculus driven isn't it that'd be quite interesting to see where that goes really so that'd be kind of kind of a good one or the the four the four case and the four 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 x version yeah um going back to the original star wars you can you can smell the, the blasters and the burning of Aunt Boo, whatever it could be. Me. yeah it'd be terrible <laughs> but you can, you can imagine that again lucas i would guess would go back in and look at that and go 
can we now jump again to the next set? He'd of- probably want to. Thankfully, he's retired, so I think we'll all be spared <laughs> that. Uh, yeah, that that would be bad. I mean, people give the the prequels a lot of a lot of grief. The thing is, the prequels were a result of him trying to embrace technology. He was so excited by the idea mm-hmm. of CG generated characters. I mean, people give Jar Jar Binks a lot of grief, but he was an impressive yeah, yeah, visual effect at the time. Right. And if you watch the, the sort of ninety sort of uh, seven special edition mm. releases, which I bought while I was at university uh, from HMV down in Birmingham City Centre. You know, they had the CG job of the hut in there and and that was him saying, okay, I can do this now. You know, I can create this Mm. this digital character and that was the template for Jar Jar Binks. Um, So, I mean, he was was a very sort of visionary filmmaker. He is, he's not dead. Um, (laughs) But also a little bit misguided because I think the problem with the prequels, he let the technology lead the narrative and when you got to Revenge of the Sith, almost that entire film was shot in a green room. I mean, there was almost nothing on location. You can can tell the fact that it's it's like, um, here's the next level. You can tell Mm. a game controller the idea of falling into those pots yeah. and molds it's like come on it's just, it is but I, I think I can see the attraction of that you've got these new cameras and new sets the ability to film it's secondary to, to the story and the narrative and I can see how you'd be completely seduced by the fact you've got this fantastic new kit to play with and can it do this yeah well let's, let's do it because we can put it in it's like using all the fonts and all the colours yeah. and all the things you've got um, and then join, when people are beginning to draw back a little bit now and you can't tell what's real and what isn't which is kind of nice but I think we're looking at those, and it's obviously they're all CG. It's obvious that using every trick in the book that you can do within the computer to show those kind of films. But I think realistically, it's it's they're very much of the time. They're still watchable, mm. but I think very, you have to sort of do it as with any film. You go, well, it's done 20 years ago. This is the level of technology is going to be, and the story is secondary to what it is. But so. the interesting thing is, and I genuinely believe this, that the prequels have aged more than the originals. Mm. Because they're very much of that era of, hey, look, we've just discovered computer technology. These were the first films, like uh, Attack of the Clones was one of the first films shot, if not the first film, I think shot entirely digitally. Mm -hmm. And, uh, you know, at that age, whereas you look at the originals and they have a classic feel to them, they haven't aged. And, you know, and I prefer the originals to the special editions, which you can find on the internet if you know where to look. (laughs) Uh, And, you know, I I, I wish he hadn't tinkered with them. And people, people are finding this and putting together edits of, um, laser discs and they're always going to be some people yeah, right. like, well, yeah well let's be honest uh, we can talk about piracy uh, so they're <laughs> called the despecialized editions yeah. uh, and they are literally that they're put together from a mixture of sources uh, there was a DVD the original theatrical cuts were released on DVD as part of a box set at some point in the early noughties um, and, uh, but they were done in you know, standard definition stereo sound uncleaned up I mean they're a mess so it's a combination of those and the laser disc and I believe a scan of the 35mm print mm. which kind of it does exist i think the library of congress has a 35 mil theatrical print of star wars but they're not allowed to to show it but again that's amazing isn't it? that it's become such an integral part of, yeah. of american but it is scanned you know yeah. it's on the internet you can find these despecialized ones and they're really really good because they they have the you know the the digital sound and they have the tidied up mm. you know remastered images but it's all the original things and people say oh you know does it matter but it's not just the effects you know there are lines of dialogue that are removed mm. in the special editions there are there are little minor just irritating things changed and i'm old-fashioned what can i tell you but it, but it's one of those things where i mean again 
uh, that's that's my generation Star Wars again mm. the, the the past generations it's Harry Potter the next next guys who will have a special edition Harry Potter come out at some time I was going to say in years and years <clears> and years we'll all be moaning about the new special edition cuts of the Marvel movies yeah, yeah, yeah that's it. what have they done to Iron Man <laughs> yeah, oh my yeah. god it's awful it's, it's, I, I can't think of saying that I can't think of any bits in those films that need tweaking that much But there was uh, nothing that needed tweaking in Star Wars that no, didn't stop them no <laughs> <laughs> but I, I think with Star Wars it was the first big pop culture film that, that uh, that everybody saw that everybody went I mean Jaws had come out and people yeah. had been to see Blockbusters before but I think that was the one that kind of it's it's on every every toy shelf it's on and it's in every house yeah. it's on the TV it's on the holiday special it's on everything and it's not it was the one that everybody went embraced every kid embraced Star Wars and whether you're a guy, a guy or a girl uh, and that was to me that was like that's that's my childhood Star Wars and I think he's the same as yourself he must be a Star Wars purist to go they've taken that out he, he turns left rather than right. He does this rather than that. And it's like, that's the thing you saw as a kid. That's the thing that got Im- imprinted in you when you're eight years old to go and see the Rancor monster and Return of the Jedi, whatever it could be. And you, you know full well that it does this and that and that gets eaten and the Gamma Wee and Gar gets that. And you know you know full well all the little nuances and all the things and all the the pace and the, the movement and all these kind of bits and pieces. And for something to come and tweak it, it's no, no, don't don't change it. It's perfect as it is. It's per- my eight-year-old self saying, no, no, stop playing about with my things, my toys, my things. Um but you might. I'd like to sort of see maybe somebody go back and do the special four, five, and six. But go back and and do that and have a, a, a pure clean cut and just tidy up the print. That's that's. I don't want anything else. Just don't Funnily enough, I thought this would happen when Disney bought Lucasfilm. I was very surprised because obviously George said you'll never see the originals again. It's not mm-hmm. my vision. But obviously he doesn't own it anymore. No, you know what I mean. <clears throat> Disney own it, and I thought, God, this. I mean, there's money to be made here. They could re-release the original yeah. cuts in all their glory and. So many people would buy yeah. them. It's it just a case of just you know, take out cigarette burns, take out tweaks and bits and pieces of the prints, mm. tidy it up, do the sound again, and just leave it with the bits and pieces that are, mm. are, are quirky and the plastic rubber masks and the cantina scenes. And don't put CG characters in that, and don't put a Moss Eisley that looks like this, and don't put things walking in front of the cameras that look like shit. Uh, <laughs> just leave it as it is. Mm. Don't don't tweak. Just change the colours and adapt it, and just make it so it's a very subtle. But Tweet. people have done this a lot. I mean, Spielberg went through and changed E.T., I mm. if you remember this. So all the shotguns that the police had got changed to walkie-talkies. Yeah. Uh, he has since changed it back because he realised what a horrible error he made. Mm. Yeah. <laughs> uh, Lucas, unfortunately, did not have enough self-awareness <laughs> to realise that. Uh, but, you know, you know, you remember when they did that Godfather cut, when they went back and they recut the Godfather part two mm. and the Godfather to make it chronological? Yeah, it's a, no, no. What are you doing? <laughs> no! In this version, Titanic doesn't sing. I just... Honestly, no, just, just leave it alone. <laughs> You're killing me here. I mean, these are films that we you know, we obviously love, and I'm sure that this will also happen with the next generation of people to go. Harry Potter does this, and Star Wars does that, and Transformers. Imagine doing a recut of Transformers. I mean, maybe with a stronger narrative and, and story and plot and characters would be quite nice this time. Um, but I think I think Star Wars just just defines um, genres and designs ages, mm. and it's one of these things that we just go. This is this is Star Wars as it should be. And I think people will be happy to go to the cinema and see the Star Wars they saw when they were seven. And interestingly, as it comes back, it may well be that same thing for a whole new generation mm. because the prequels have grown up in this in this atmosphere of you weren't good enough. But <laughs> seven and eight and Rogue One yeah. and Han this, Solo and, and the spin-offs are, are having that resurgence. So it, there may well be another generation of, of Star Wars purists. Yeah. Have you, have you got an opinion on Rogue One? Uh, I haven't seen it yet. We're seeing it in, I believe, two weeks. Um, I am... Quietly optimistic. Mm. I'm quite excited about it. I've got a lot, lot of time for for Gareth Edwards, the mm. director. Mm. Um, 
I understand what they are trying to do with it, and I think it's a good idea. Mm. The Han Solo film, I have a very different opinion. <laughs> <laughs> that worries me a yeah. lot because I don't. I just just leave it alone. Yeah. Leave it alone. Young Indiana Jones Chronicles, fine. Yeah, do you know what I mean? But, but not young. That. Young. No, we're fine. Okay, yeah. don't we? That 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 bugs me. But yeah, no, I think Rogue One's a great idea. I think it's great. he's a great filmmaker. He has a very sort of like interesting cinema verite style, and I'd be very interested to see how he kind of applies that mm. to uh, to this. Uh, but equally, let's let's not pretend this is anything other than it is, which is it's a commercial proposition. Disney paid whatever it was, four point something billion for yeah. Lucasfilm. And um, this is the first anthology film. If this doesn't succeed, they have a problem. Yeah. They need it to succeed. So it mm. will be far more commercial than I suspect Gareth wanted it to be. Mm. I think it will be far less dark than he wanted it to be. Um, but equally, you know... Uh, I, I, it's a good subject matter yeah. and it's got Vader in it I mean what's not to love yeah. I love the fact that this podcast is basically now a Star Wars podcast yeah it's fine we just moved on and that's fine 45 I'm minutes worth we just absolutely happy with this what we do <laughs> the next question I have for you and I'm sure this is one you get asked all the time and it's it's probably one that's very easy to answer but do you ever get used to it like it seems like you have an incredible amount of stories and the ability to name drop until hmm. for days and days do you ever like get settled into that um you become slightly more jaded over time I think that's that's human um, yes I suppose so I think partly because I mean let's be honest I've been doing this for a while now to a certain extent there's a lot of you know management and admin that is part of my job so mm-hmm. you know I don't spend all day with Arnold Schwarzenegger I have budget meetings planning meetings marketing meetings events meetings I mean there's you know there are elements of actual work to it uh, much as it you know wounds me to say um <laughs> But I don't think you, I think if you ever get bored of of doing the crux of it, you kind of need to find something else to do. Mm-hmm. You know, it's like, like I, I don't get bored of watching movies. I don't get bored of talking about movies. I don't get bored of writing about movies, as long as they're movies I want to see. Um, so, no, I don't, think, I don't think I've ever really got to that point. Uh, and when I do, I think that will be the point when I'm going to retire. Right. Okay. So... Um what's what's give us the best story you have from your time at empire oh god that, that of course you're allowed to say well the, the, that's but the thing is that's an important caveat um mm. many of them i will not recount on a podcast um and and then many of the best stories aren't even my stories and many of them i can't recount either because they get us sued <laughs> i mean yeah, I mean, there's tons of stuff that's happened, but people involved would literally sue, um, <laughs> you know, for defamation. Because <laughs> you do see a side to people that you wouldn't normally see. Mm. Um, but, I mean, you know, we've done crazy stuff. I've done interviews while uh, while running down a fire escape with people. You know, I've been inadvertently flashed by a famous actress in an interview. <laughs> I have uh, walked in on a famous actor while he was sitting on the toilet. That was awkward for both of us. <laughs> you know, loads of this stuff has kind of happened. Uh, you know, and if, if, I've, I've, we've always said this in the office, like me, Nick and Chris have talked about this, that if the three of us combined all of our anecdotes together, we'd have the most amazing book. <laughs> you know, it's just, it would be incredible. Uh, and like our former, the magazine's former editor, Mark Dinning, again, had an array of astonishing stories, most of which I'm almost certain were fictional. But, um, um, but yeah, it, it, it's it's been a it's been a wild old ride. 
Yeah. Um, you know, and it's also because the industry's changed a lot. So now it's much more regimented. Now, for example, premieres are, you know, it's a, it's a lineup and you'll be forced into groups. And I mean, I don't do premieres anymore. You'll be kidding me. But well, but when people do it, you know, and you'll get maybe one question with someone a second past if you get them. But when I was doing premieres when I started out, you know, not many people covered them. So we got an incredible amount of time with talent. I got like five whole minutes one-on-one -on -one with Tom Cruise at the Vanilla Sky premiere and that was you just would never get that you mm. just wouldn't get it uh, and that was amazing because back then you know as a website we didn't get access to people like Tom Cruise so for him to sort of stop and talk to me about stuff was was, was kind of awesome um, you know and doing those premieres where I got to speak to a lot more people than I would have done otherwise which is why I kind of I ticked off almost everyone on my movie star want to meet bucket list uh, mainly by doing premieres and covering that and, and speaking to people. So it was worth standing in Leicester Square in the freezing cold for many, many hours uh, just to get a chance to do that. Have you completed that bucket list since? No, I have I have not met. And this is it. So Julia Roberts, Mel Gibson, Al Pacino, Robert De Niro, those remain on my... Mel Gibson I'm less bothered about these days. <laughs> uh, but those were the big ones from my era that I never got to meet. Um, Al Pacino I had the opportunity and Robert De Niro I've had the opportunity as well which I have since passed up I think because I got less bothered by the bucket list and I probably right. had a lot of work to do and I was like no someone else can do that but uh, also Robert De Niro doesn't make many good films these days so. <laughs> uh, but uh, yeah I, do you know what I mean I, I, I'd quite like to have done that and Julia Roberts doesn't you know, she's not the most prolific actress anymore mm. so you know we haven't had many opportunities the other one is Eddie Murphy like I loved Eddie Murphy um, in the, like loved him in the 80s and he just doesn't really do press at all right. he doesn't really like doing it uh, and so I've never had the opportunity to meet Eddie and he um, he did a really good Rolling Stone interview quite a few years ago and I was just like God I'd love to have been the guy who'd done that interview who got to mm -hmm. go to his house and spend the day with him basically what I did with Arnold but with Eddie Murphy right. that would have been that would have been quite something so Eddie, if Eddie Murphy is I don't know listening to this for some reason please please call the office also like please call out. us because <laughs> if you're listening good lord um <laughs> So you work, I know that you work with a lot of young people in, in, in one form or another. You have a lot of uh, young people volunteering and come into the offices. We do. We do. Um, we don't do as much work experience as we used to because it used to be slightly more organized. We used to have like a 12-month waiting lesson. There was a very specific way that people applied for work experience, whereas now it seems to be they just drop the editor a line and she either has it in or she doesn't. So it's a little bit more ad hoc. Okay. Um, but, uh, but, but yeah, we do. we do have people come in. Uh, certainly and a publication like Empire does uh, attract a lot of mm. work experience people. So of those of those people who come and get a great opportunity, of course, because they get to learn that experience firsthand, if you could sort of bundle up into a sentence, a magic tip, as it were. <laughs> a magic tip. Yeah. Um, it's it it's difficult to say. Um, doing work experience right is very hard. You have to kind of strike a balance between not over-exerting or over-inserting yourself into people's conversations, thereby becoming irritating, but also not fading into the background and going unnoticed. I mean, one guy that quite impressed me, he came in and he um, sent an email to the editorial assistant and said, hi, my name is, whatever his name was, uh, here are some links to some work that I've done. Um, you know, I've recently completed a postgraduate journalism course for X, Y, and Z. You know, I'd be really happy to do any transcribing, blah, 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 anything you wanted. And he asked her if she would send it to everyone in the office. And the benefit was, you know, we were able to click the links and see what he'd written. So you could tell within 10 seconds that he could write, uh, which a lot of people can't. Uh, and he said, oh, I'm happy to do some transcribing. And there's always loads of that to be done. So he got quite a bit of work out of that. Not like work, like paid work, but he got 
to speak to a lot of people people paid attention to him people spoke to him and i thought that kind of icebreaker that was a really kind of shrewd move on his part i wish more people would do stuff like that um and and uh, Empire and Freer always used to say there's one person in every office who will give you their time who will talk to you who will give you advice who will give you feedback on your work find that person you know listen to the banter and find who's the nice person in the office there's bound to be one hint it isn't me uh, <laughs> but it was Ian Freer Ian Freer was the guy um, yeah and just find someone who can give you feedback and I think what you want to get from work experience is, is knowledge you want to to get a better understanding of, of how these things work. But also, you know, contacts, you know, can you make an impression on the office you're in enough to make them remember you so they might get you to do something in future? Or in my case, I got my entire job based off work experience because I learned stuff doing work experience at Empire that enabled me to get a job at Empire. Mm. I have hired three people in my time at Empire based solely on their work experience. I have hired them out of work experience and given them jobs. Uh, obviously, three people in 16 years isn't a lot, but it happens is what I'm saying. Mm. Um, so, yeah, impress people if you can. Excellent. And then just a last question, a nice, easy, well, I say easy, but I imagine it's going to be very difficult, informal question. What's the best film you have had the opportunity to see this year? This year, Arrival by Denis Villeneuve <sighs> is my favourite film of the year. I I had tickets bought and ready and the person I was going with got ill and I haven't been able to see it yet and I'm sort of desperate to get in and see it. You should. It's yeah. very good. And the worst? Hmm. I have no idea. I don't know what the worst film I've seen this year is actually. I think I tend to try and forget the terrible ones <laughs> if at all possible. I wouldn't want to name one to be honest because I've seen a, a number of bad films. Uh, I think I would be hard pressed to find one that I think is the actual worst. Um, I'm trying to think. No, I, I genuinely don't know. I don't know what the worst would be. I, I don't think it's been a vintage year for films. Um, <laughs> you know, I, I, I had issues with a number of them. Mm -hmm. uh, I will say that it wasn't Suicide Squad. Okay. I will say that Suicide Squad is by no means a great film, but it is nowhere near as bad as everyone likes to make out it is. Uh, okay. Well, uh, I think that wraps us up quite nicely with you defending a DC movie, which is... <laughs> A good point to end on. Thank you so, so, so much for joining us and uh, giving some actual professional insight to our hour of nerdiness. Um, it's been wonderful. Thank you. You're welcome. And we will see you next week. Of course, you are always welcome to come on this podcast. The idea is that we have set it up for you to have a voice, for you to come in and be enthusiastic. So do just that. But don't do it next week, because next week we are joined by Mark Silk, the voice of Johnny Bravo, the man who has acted in Star Wars, a number of other things. Again, details for that, how you can meet him and how you can be a part of the audience for the show are down in the description below. Thanks very much to everyone who joined us. Thanks to Rob. No problem, Sue. I'll see you soon. You will see us next week with the wonderful Mark Silk. Adios. Nice. And we will see you next week. Cheers.